Well, to those of you who have gathered in the building this morning and those of you who might be joining us live online, good morning. And for, to those of you who will be joining us later, welcome. Welcome to worship at Golden Corner Church. It's been a busy week at our church. We had a lot to do. We had a couple of memorial slash funeral services, and I have just got to say this. Uh, especially to the women of Golden Corner Church, you absolutely ad- outdid yourselves this week. Uh, it was such a thrill for me to just see so much of Jesus in you and the way that you served people, and I just wanted to commend you and say thank you, thank you, thank you. It moved me, and it moved a lot of other people. This morning, I see a lot of visitors in, in, in the church, and I'm so glad you're here Uh, This morning, I want to wrap up a sermon series entitled Mind Games. And uh, there's just a lot that we've talked about in the previous four sermons that I can't backtrack and and share with you. And and so I'm just going to trust that maybe you will go back to our archives and and you'll listen to the previous four sermons. I'll give you this quick recap. Here's some things that we've learned. We've learned that we all have a common enemy. Every believer shares the same enemy, the devil. I hate that. But it's just the truth. We do. And unfortunately, because he is our enemy, we will contend with him throughout the course of our life. There's no point where you and I reach a level of spiritual maturity or age or weakness or whatever where the enemy goes, you know what? I'm just going to back off. I'm just going to ease up on them, let it go. You know, I'm calling a truce. Unfortunately, we will contend with him our whole life. And here's the big, big lesson that we've learned in this series. To win the battle with our enemy, we've got to first win the battle in our mind. You go, Ronnie, what do you mean by that? The devil loves to play mind games with us. He loves to get in our head and speak destructive words. Intimidating words. Deceptive words. Why? He has a threefold objective to this. One, he wants to steal our faith. And to accomplish this, he, he'll lie to us about God. God's un, he's not faithful as he claims to be. He's not even fair. So, so he lies to try to steal our faith. But the second thing... He wants to instill fear within us. And so he lies to us about our future. You know, whatever the worst case scenario could possibly be, that's what's waiting on you down the road. Just just go ahead and live in fear now because it's coming. And the third objective is he really wants us to surrender to his will. And go, okay, look, I'm going to do things your way. Because when we surrender to his will, he gets really his, he wins the battle. Because he wants, what he wants is to regain control of us. And once he's regained control of us, he'll rob us, use us, destroy us, and then gloat about all of this in the presence of God. So, this is the big question that we're trying to answer now. How do you win the battle in your mind? Last week, I shared a couple of steps we can take. One, we have to learn to recognize the devil's voice. P. 
Pick up on the fact, whoop, that's my enemy talking. Number two, we cannot believe the first word he says. He's a liar. There's not an ounce of truth in him. Everything he ever whispers in your mind is a lie. And so this morning, probably going to be pretty quick. You know, it's a beautiful fall day. You might get a little bit of free time here. So, but, you know, there is a step three in addition to those two things. Here's what we've got to do. We must start a conversation with God. How do you win the battle of mind? You've got to learn to recognize his voice. You can't believe a word he says. And you've got to start a conversation with God. Now, for those of you who have been here, let me kind of back up and tell you the biblical text we've been using for this whole study. It's an Old Testament story recorded in 2 Kings 18 and 19. It's also recorded in 2 Chronicles 32. And it's recorded again in Isaiah chapter 36 and 37. Here's the way the story goes. Sennacherib, king of Assyria, brought his entire army south, and he invaded the country of Judah. With absolute ease, they were conquering villages, towns, even fortified cities. Uh, of course, i tell you what, the primary target of this invasion was the capital city of Judah, Jerusalem. And inside of that city was the, uh, a more specific target. It was Hezekiah, king of Judah. So, in time, as Hezekiah and the people anticipated, Sennacherib turns his attention to Jerusalem. Uh, he sent three of his top men along with a large portion of his army. Now, he himself did not come. I do not know exactly why. Didn't send the entire army, but he sent a large enough army that it would be intimidating to those who lived in Jerusalem. And so they show up, and what's the first thing they did? You say, well, I bet you they did this. I bet you they blanketed. I bet you they sent arrows up like a dark cloud and just blanketed all of Jerusalem. No, they didn't. I bet they poisoned the drinking water. No. The first weapons of choice in this attack were words, Daryl, words. Sennacherib had put together a message that he wanted his chief of staff to share with Hezekiah and the rest of the people who lived in Jerusalem. He wanted to get in their mind, in their head. He wanted to play some mind games. And so everybody listened as this dude shared this intimidating, threatening message from Sennacherib. And if, as we have studied it, we've seen his goal, take their faith, give them fear, get them to surrender so that I am ultimately in control of these people. Now once this dude finished... And the message had been shared. How did the people of Jerusalem respond? I want us to look at it together. 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 36. But the people were silent and did not utter a word because Hezekiah had commanded them. Now you listen to him. He commanded them, do not answer him. Now, wait, I'm going to back up. I'm going to read it again. We're all good. How did these people respond? This message, intimidating message, is, is, is finished. But the people were silent and did not utter a word because Hezekiah had commanded them, do not answer him. 
Why do you suppose Hezekiah commanded the people to be silent? This is what I believe. He did not want the people to perpetuate the conversation because the longer they listened to their enemy, the more damage his words could do. I think Hezekiah's advice was good advice for us. Once we recognize that our enemy is talking to us, we must terminate the conversation. Terminate the conversation. Because the longer we listen to our enemy, the more damage he is going to do in our lives. Let me give you some examples. Listen, the devil is a liar. He can't tell you the truth, but he is one convincing cat. I'm telling you, he is very convincing. He's persuasive. Think about some examples from the Bible. Romans chapter 12 tells us this, that one day Lucifer met with the angels of heaven and he said, guys, I, not God, need to be in charge. And according to what the Bible said, one third of the angels went, I think he's right. Can you believe that? One third of the angels bought into this. And then, and then he, he sold him this thing. Well, if, he does, if God's not willing to yield his throne peaceably, here's what I think we need to do. Let's take it by force. Will you follow me in revolt against the throne of God? One third of the angels said, we think that's a good idea. We think that'll work. Uh, is that convincing? Is he persuasive? Think about in the, in the book of Genesis, the devil had one conversation with a lady named Eve. And in one conversation, he convinced her, God's a liar. She's like, you, you know what? I'm glad you brought that to my attention. What about that? He's a liar. Uh, he convinced her that God was being unfair to her, holding out something of great value to her. And he convinced her that the one thing God said was wrong, one thing, one commandment, don't eat the fruit of that tree, everything else, we're cool. He convinced her that the one thing that was wrong was right. Do you understand that when the devil is whispering in our mind, he is very convincing, he is very persuasive. Given the opportunity, he will steal our faith. He will fill us with fear. He will convince us that wrong is right and regain the control of our life. So how in the world do you terminate the conversation? You know, I've had a lot of people tell me different things that they do. I've had people tell me that when I, when I pick up on the fact that the enemy's talking to me, I rebuke him. In the name of Jesus, I rebuke you. I tried that. Can, you know, can, can I just can I be, make a confession here? I've tried that. And you know what he did when I rebuked him? He never broke stride. He just kept talking. I'm like, come on, man. Everybody told me if I rebuked you, you, you would be quiet. But I've rebuked you, and you're still talking. And they say, I, swear, I, I tell him to get behind me. I just tell them, get thee behind me, Satan. Well, I tried that too. I think it got louder. And maybe, it's, maybe the problem is with me. You know, maybe I just don't have the punch a lot of folks have in their faith and in their walk with God. I've had people say, uh, I bind him. Bind him in the blood of Jesus. I bind you. I've tried that, Mick. He didn't stop talking. Now listen to me. If those things work for you, you just keep doing it. Huh, okay? Just keep doing it. Just keep doing it. But I've cast him out. 
There might have been a time when I was first saved where I might have almost cussed him out. <laughs> You've wanted to. And I've insisted. Be quiet. Shut up. Turn the music up. Turn the television up. I still hear him. None of those things have worked for me. But I have found something that does work for me. And I'm going to encourage you to try it. Here's what I'm recommending. When the devil starts a conversation with you, you start a conversation with God. You with me? When the devil starts a conversation with you, you start a conversation with God. You said, that'd be kind of rude, wouldn't it? Do you, do you think for a minute that I mind being rude to him? Huh? Let me, in, in our story, King Hezekiah was absolutely the major target of these mind games. And I want to show you how he reacted to this. 2 Kings chapter 19, verse number 1 through 3. Hezekiah just, he, he said, when the king Hezekiah heard their report, in other words, he, they shared with him, this is what our enemy is saying. He tore his clothes and put on burlap. You know what that means? You know what it's a sign of? Grief. Sorrow. Despair. Now, Hezekiah was the one who had stood before the people and greatly encouraged them by telling them, God's going to come through for all of us. We're gonna, he's going to win this battle for us. Don't sweat it. Now, all of a sudden, Hezekiah has been listening to the enemy, and he's not encouraged. He's discouraged. He's lost all hope. But look what he did. It was a good move. He put on burlap, and he went into the temple of the Lord. He sent Eliakim, the palace administrator, Shebna, the court secretary, and the leading priest, all dressed in burlap, to the prophet Isaiah. Do you know what Isaiah did for a living? He listened to God so that he could speak for God. You know what this is telling me about Hezekiah? Hezekiah is looking for something. He's looking for a word from the Lord. Now, God, I thought I heard you say you were going to come through for us. Well, then I heard what this guy said. Now, I'm kind of wondering, you know, is, are, I, need, I need you to tell me something. He went to the prophet Isaiah, son of Amoz. They told him, this is what King Hezekiah says, Today is a day of trouble, insults, and disgrace. Listen to this next phrase. It's, it's weird. And, and, and Hezekiah passed this message on to, to Isaiah. It is like when a child is ready to be born, but the mother has no strength to deliver the baby. Yes, what, did, what does it mean? I looked in every commentary I own, every study Bible I've got, and nobody tried to offer an interpretation to that. But Boggs, I'm going to give you the Hodge interpretation. You ready? This is what I think he's saying. Something needs to happen. Something's got to give. But we don't have the strength to make it happen. You know what that tells me that Hezekiah might be thinking? I got one move here. Surrender. Fortunately, before he surrendered, he said, maybe I need to talk with God before I raise the white flag. Look what happened, 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 5, in the first part of, of verse number 6. After King Hezekiah's officials delivered the king's message to Isaiah, the prophet replied, Say to your master, in other words, you go tell Hezekiah this. This is what I say. Well, how's it read? This is what the Lord says. 
So if Hezekiah is looking for a word from God, now what's he doing? He's engaged now in conversation with God. And God speaks back to him, and, and I don't have the message, but this is essentially what God said. You tell Hezekiah, I got this. He don't have to worry anymore. This is not his battle. I'll take care of this guy. So Hezekiah leaves the temple. You know what? Now he, you know, he was, he was encouraged, and then he was discouraged, and now he's encouraged. We goes out, and somebody hands him a handwritten letter. Guess who wrote the letter? Sennacherib, his enemy. And the letter was very threatening and intimidating. And so what did Hezekiah do? I want you to look at this chapter, 2 Kings 19, verse 14, and the first part of verse 15. After Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it, he went up to the Lord's temple. He's back in the temple. And he spread it out before the Lord. Can you see that? He spreads the note out on the temple in front of God. And Hezekiah prayed this prayer before the Lord. What's he doing, y'all? Again, his faith has been rattled because he's listening to the enemy. He's battling with discouragement. So what did, what did he do? He went and he started another conversation with God. He begins to pray to the Lord, 2 Kings 19, the first part of verse number 20. What happened? Then Isaiah, son of Amos, sent this message to Hezekiah. This is once again what the Lord God of Israel says. And you know what God said? You know what God said to him this time? I've told you. I've already told you what I'm going to do. Let me be clear. I'll say it one more time. I got this. Don't worry with him. Listen to me. I I've preached on the devil here before, hadn't I? I've been, I've been here, what, 24 and a half years? Have you ever heard me preach on the devil? Have you ever heard me preach on spiritual war? Every time I do that, the devil gets in my business. He don't like it. He don't like it, man. There's always repercussions. But never to the degree he has over the past six weeks of my life. Uh, would I be accurate to say that at times he's made my life miserable? Why would he do that? Oh, I'm sharing some things with you he never wanted you to know. One of the things he's done, he's done this the past three Saturday nights. Saturday night, I'll go to bed, and all of a sudden, Kristen, I hear this voice. This antagonizing, depressing, discouraging voice. And I'm flipping and flopping and tossing and turning. And then, it, then it, I, listen, I'm a little slow. You guys understand? You've you got a slow pastor. It takes me a while to kind of figure things out. But, but in time, I get it, and I go, oh, that's my enemy. So you know what I've been doing? The minute, the minute I put it together, I start praying. And then I, I think about what God has given me to say to you, and I start rolling it over my head. Guess what happens to me? I go dead asleep. Now, I may wake up in the middle of the night, Scott, and there's that aggravating, nagging voice, and I start. I pray, and I start going over the Scriptures in my head again. Boom, I'm back asleep. You know what I think it's kind of like? I think it's kind of like this. I think when God and I start talking, and the enemy tries to interrupt, I think maybe God goes, Whoa, can you not say we're talking here? 
Huh? Can you not say it? Me and Hodge are talking. Who invited you into this? Butt out. But I'll tell you what he'll do. He will grow silent. That's the only way I've ever found to get him to be quiet. So I'm recommending this, guys. Whenever you pick up on the fact that the devil is talking to you, you need to start a conversation with God. And you know how to do that. You pray, but you also take out your Bible and you begin to read and you invite God to speak to you. I promise you, at some point in the conversation, you'll recognize the devil has become quiet. So I'm going to encourage you to do something. I want to encourage you to devote yourself to prayer. I don't want you just to pray when the devil's antagonizing you. I want you to devote yourselves to it. And I want you to devote yourselves to the Bible. Reading it, reflecting on it, letting God speak to you from it. You know what's hard to do? You know what it's hard to do? It's hard for the devil. For any length of time, to steal the faith of a person who constantly is engaged in conversation with God. Now, in the previous series, we, it was called Friend Request Pending. I, I taught this, that if we will make a habit of visiting with God, and in that visit, we talk to God and we let Him talk to us. Uh, you, you know what you know, call people who are devoted to that process? Friends of God. Friends of God. But, on the other hand, what if we don't? What if we say, not going to pray unless I step in front of a moving bus. You know, I, I'm not going to read the Bible. Don't need all that. Don't want any of that. You know what you call people that don't do that? Casualty of war. It's just a matter of time, folks. It's just a matter of time. One of the greatest safeguards one, that, that you could ever implement and place into your life is making sure that you are devoted to the practice of having Regular conversations, meaningful conversations with God. Everybody with me? I'm not going to tell you how. You say, we need some practical steps. No, you don't. Because in, in the series, Friend Request Pending, we covered all that. It's recorded. You can go back, listen to all that. I'm telling you what, it'll help you. But there's something else. One more step, and we're going to go. I told you, man. Of course, I'm going to let you in on a secret. When this service, when this next service is over, Ron Hodges on vacation. <laughs> you know what that means? You get an abbreviated sermon because I'm in a hurry. You know, I'm kidding you. I'm kidding you. I'm just kidding you. Kind of. Um, <clears throat> so you're going to recognize the devil's voice. You're not going to believe what he says. You're going to start a conversation with God. There's a step four. You've got to believe what God tells you. Poor old... Has a guy. He was encouraged, discouraged. Encouraged, discouraged. <laughs> encouraged, discouraged. I mean, and, but, and all the time God was saying, I got it, man. Don't worry about it. We're good to go. He's nothing to me. What was going on? Why was he vacillating back and forth between discouragement and encouragement? I think I know because the last time God spoke to him, he included this, 2 Kings 19, verse 29. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, and he's speaking for God now, here is the proof that what I'm saying is true. And then he outlined some things that he could watch for. You know the problem Hezekiah was having? The things God was saying to him, Sandy, they just seemed too good to be true. 
But the moment that he believed what God said, the moment that he took it to heart, you know what Sennacherib did? He shut up. Now, I don't mean to, didn't mean to say it in front of your kids. Now, they're going to go home and they're going to say that at the dinner table, you know. The moment Hezekiah believed what God said, Sennacherib packed his things and left. Not another word was spoken. End of conversation. You know, I sat down this morning and I realized something. I don't have a clever ending to this series. I usually try to write a you know, paragraph, you know, a very powerful, man, here it is, you know, you're going to wrap this thing up. Well, I don't have it. All I can tell you is this. You've got an enemy, and he's serious, and he's relentless, and he's ruthless, and he is beatable. That sounded pretty good. Did anybody write, Don, did you write that down for me? I, I might tell the next crowd that, you know, and say, I've wrote, it took me hours to write this, but here it is. You understand he's beatable? But to win the battle with him, it starts to win the battle in our mind. Learn to recognize his voice. Don't you believe a word he says? Start a conversation with God. And whatever God says to you, you can go to the bank with it. You believe him. You'll win the battle in your mind, and you'll ultimately win the battle with your enemy. Let's pray, and I'll let you go. Whew. Here's what I pray, God. Help us do this. I pray that the people who are watching online, listening to the podcast, the folks who are sitting here, and I pray for me. That this is one of those sermon series that we will take to heart and put into practice. There are folks here right now, God, who are scared to death. And they don't even know what they're afraid of. Something in their mind is telling them something's coming. There are people listening to this sermon that have already gotten the white flag out of their chest of drawers. They're getting ready to raise it, Lord. Already got the towel ready to throw in. They don't know if they can continue living for God. They don't even know if they want to. It's because there's been a voice whispering in their mind that's got them tangled up in knots. I pray this, that you'll help them win the battle in their mind so that they win the battle with their enemy. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.